Let's stand open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17 this morning. A very famous story, one of the most well-known stories in all of Scripture, the story of David and Goliath. I won't read the entire chapter for sake of time. We'll just go straight to verse 22 and read through verse 24. David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. As he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, spake according to the same words, and David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel has he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. I'm going to ask Brother Tucker to lead us in prayer this morning as we come. So we're going through the lives of the men that have been mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. And looking at their faith, we have arrived at the life of David. And there's so much written about him as I begin to think about his life and his faith. I've struggled with what angle to preach, what exactly to mention. David was a man of great faith, and I think it's necessary to go to probably the most famous event in his life when he stood up to Goliath. But we see a faith that overcame fear, and uh, too often we see fear in our own lives, the monster fear, the giant of fear. And if there's anyone that could have allowed fear to grip him, and totally overtake him, overwhelm him. It was David. Because here in this chapter you see as a young lad facing a, a lion. He's keeping the sheep and here comes a lion. Here comes a bear. And I'm going to Alaska to hunt bear here in a couple of weeks. But I don't want to come any closer than a couple hundred of yards. Speaking of distance, I don't want to do hand-to-hand -hand combat Matter of fact, I have taken a very large gun to the range and practiced on several occasions. I want to know exactly how to use that rifle, and I'm hoping that I get to shoot at that beast at least 200 yards away. Many have asked me, have you sighted it in for 100 yards? Absolutely not, because at that point I'm going to be running and not <laughs> shooting but David did hand-to-hand -hand combat with a bear. Can you imagine the fear that would overwhelm you knowing that you were being attacked by a lion or by a bear? And then we see him taking on the greatest warrior of this generation, a man called Goliath. Nine foot nine, all animal, a beast. A man whose armor weighed in between 125 and 175 pounds. Can you imagine carrying that around and going into battle? You could kill a man by just throwing your shield on him. The, the spearhead, the Bible says, weighed in between 18 and 25 pounds. This was a mighty man. And you hear David is going into battle, hand-to-hand -hand combat with this giant. Now, in David's life, we just see a continual struggle with 
incredible circumstances. From this point, he goes into the palace. He's chased by Saul, a madman, a king who's out of control. And for 10 to 12 years, Saul uses his power, his position, his army to chase and pursue David around the kingdom, seeking to kill him. Can you imagine if you lived every day with the thought that you had the national army seeking your death and the king himself was living with one purpose in mind, to take your life? I don't know how he kept from being overwhelmed on a daily basis by fear and so many other circumstances that we could talk about. Time will not permit it. But a lot of times we live dominated by fear, and a lot of those fears are imaginary. I know some of you read the story several years back about the lady from Arkansas, only in Arkansas, and if you are from Arkansas, I don't want you to be angered this morning. This was one of your people. But this lady was sitting in the parking lot of a grocery store on a very hot day and suddenly heard a loud noise and something hit her in the back of her head. She put her hand up there and felt her brains coming out of the back of her head. Someone that was standing next to her car looked over, heard the same noise, watched as she reacted in pain and asked, Are you okay, ma'am? What can I do for you? And she said, I need you to call 911 because someone just blew my brains out and I'm doing everything possible to keep them in my head. Well, actually, it wasn't her brains, but a Pillsbury biscuit canister <laughs> that had exploded in the heat of the day and flung that dough against the back of her head. <laughs> That's called imaginary fear. Too often we look at all the possibilities in life and we know the circumstances and we always imagine the worst. And rarely the worst happens, but we're thinking about all the potential consequences and dangers and problems that could result from this problem, and suddenly we're ruining day after day, week after week, stealing those moments of joy that we could be spending with our family and friends, but instead we're living controlled by fear. Now, there are two kinds of fear. There's a healthy fear, the fear that will keep you from driving 200 miles an hour down the highway when you're in a hurry because you don't want to crash or because you don't want a ticket that expensive. But there's also an unhealthy fear we'd call the spirit of fear. And too often, listen, if the world lives like this, that's understandable because they don't have a God in heaven that is their personal heavenly father. But as Christians, we should not live dominated or controlled by fear. And here we see uh, Satan is using this in the life of God's people. You have to understand for 40 days, 40 days, this giant came out, walked through this valley, yelled at them, defied them, mocked them, challenging them. If there's a man among you, any man, willing man, a mighty man, anybody, send him out here to fight with me. Now, here's the problem with fear. They're living ashamed, embarrassed. Their cowardice is keeping them hidden in their tents. As Christians, here's what Satan wants you to do. He wants to put you in a very miserable spot. 
Because I can't imagine the misery that God's people daily waking up knowing we got to wake up again to this beast, to this animal, and listen to him. There's nothing we can do. Who's going to fight him? Who's man enough? Who's big enough? And here's what's sad. Saul, their leader, their warrior, their captain, didn't have enough strength or courage to pick up a sword. So who in the world was going to take this challenge? And here comes David. Now, can you imagine? Here's a young man, 17 years old, been sent by his father. He's been keeping the sheep. He shows up, he sees what is taking place, and he sees, look what it says in verse 24, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, and they were sore afraid. This is the miserable condition that they're living in. This is the condition Satan wants you to live in. I remember reading a story about Hetty Green, a millionaire that died in 1916. We're talking about almost a century ago. She died with a hundred million dollars that she left to her children. But this woman wouldn't even turn on the stove to heat up her oatmeal. She preferred to eat it cold and not waste the money on the gas for fear that she'd lose her fortune and die a pauper. Her own child that needed to go to the hospital was left for days as she sought a free clinic and ended up having to amputate his leg because of the infection because she refused to spend a dime on her own child. She was so concerned about that money, living in fear. Now, we can look at others and see their fear and say, boy, that seems to be foolish. But when it comes to our own lives, we say this is a real fear and you have to understand I'm living controlled by it because of the reality of the circumstance. I don't care what your circumstance, God does not want you controlled by fear. And that's where faith comes into play. It's amazing to think how many of these men, God's children, how many of these soldiers were out there, not one had enough faith to step up and face this circumstance. Not a single one. How many Christians live paralyzed by fear? You know how many Christians have never passed out a track, never gone sowing, never knocked on a door, never spoken to anyone about Jesus Christ? And you want to know the reason? Fear. You know what people have never gotten involved in a ministry? Never led a song? Never taught a Sunday school class? Never gotten involved? Satan is using the same tech that, that he used thousands of years ago called fear controlling the lives of Christians and keeping them from doing the will of God simply by paralyzing them by fear. Now I want you to see three things here this morning about the life of David and about his faith. Look what it says in verse 24. All the men of Israel, when they, what? Saw the man fled from him. Now, what is the problem? What is it that affects our faith? When we have our eyes focused on the circumstances of life, we will be paralyzed by fear. When they lifted up their eyes, instead of seeing their God, the almighty God, a God who could easily take care of this giant, they were looking at a man, nine foot nine. Look what the Bible says back in verse five. 
He had a helmet of brass upon his head. He was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. He had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. Okay, this isn't an imaginary fear. This is the real deal. This is a beast. And it's one thing to see this man at a distance. But to see someone this large, this mad, we're talking about a man who had taken the lives of hundreds with the single swipe of a sword. This was causing real fear. And when David comes up, verse 25, look what their immediate response is. And the men of Israel said, have ye seen this man? Now, David, we know right now you're brave. We know right now uh, you're courageous. We know right now that you're willing to step up. But David, have you seen? You don't need binoculars to see this. Have you seen what, what's made us so fearful? How many times have you allowed fear in your life to control you, to dominate your thoughts? Here's the problem with fear. It'll steal your appetite. It'll keep you from sleeping. It'll raise your blood pressure. It'll cause havoc in your home. If you allow that fear, no matter what the circumstances, I don't care if that's a fear concerning your health or fear concerning your finances, uh, a lot of us, have different fears. But when that begins to control you, it affects everything in your life. And they said, well, David, you just seem casual. You seem confident. You seem willing to look at the circumstance and help provide a solution. But that's because you haven't seen what we're looking at. Okay, stop looking up for a minute, Dave. Look out there for a minute. You see that dude? You see that big man? You I want to tell you something. You're not the big cheese you think you are. You're a cheese deliverer, okay? That guy right there is bad news. Now, here is the faith that we see in David. Go back with me to Eliab's response. Because David had a faith that helped him overcome his fears, and the first fear was the fear of criticism. And here's the fear that so many Christians have. Strangely enough, the fear of being criticized, and when David walks over, stands up, offers to take on this giant. Look what the Bible says, verse 28. Eliab, his eldest brother. Now, where does criticism often come from? It's not the enemy. Listen, if we were being criticized by the enemy, it'd be much easier to take. But you know why criticism is usually so painful? It comes from an unexpected source. It comes from another brother in Christ. And when someone wants to stand up, he thinks, well, my faith is going to inspire others. But often faith only inspires criticism. How do you like that? How many of you have noticed that? You know, when someone steps out by faith, I'm going to make a faith promise or I'm going to begin to tithe or I'm going to become a soul winner. I'm surrendering to preach or I believe God's called me to the mission field. It doesn't matter what step of faith that person takes. There's always a brother in Christ. Not just a brother, but look what the Bible says. An elder brother. That's even more discouraging. Because it's not a new Christian that's critical. It's an older brother that's been around, seen the battle, 
dealt with the conflicts and says, well, you know, I've got, I know you have a lot of energy and zeal, but you need a little bit of knowledge. So let me tell you something about the facts of the Christian life. You can't give that. You can't do that. You're not going to make it. You shouldn't be a discouraging voice. Look what it says, verse 28. His elder brother heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled. Not only was he critical, he was angry. And he said, why camest thou down hither? And look at the disrespect that he shows the criticism. With whom hast thou left those few sheep? Wow, he's just... You're coming here to talk about a battle... And you're a shepherd? Where's your harp? Joe, what are you going to do? Beat him over the head with your harp or your staff? We know what this man can do. David, you left a few sheep to come down here. Now, here's what David understood. When it comes to criticism, you know the famous saying, if you don't want to be criticized, say nothing, do nothing, be nothing. Eliabs don't win the battle. Eliabs don't kill Goliath. Eliabs are not leaders. Eliabs have one gift, the gift of criticism. So don't worry about it. I don't care what you decide to do in the Christian life. There will always be another brother in Christ, usually someone older in Christ than you with a critical spirit. And you better have the faith. Look, if you look at the book of Hebrews and you see everybody mentioned there in God's hall of faith, you're going to find out that they were all criticized. Can you imagine Noah's? He's out there building the ark for 120 years. Do you think he actually had a day when he wasn't criticized? You know what faith is about? Faith will carry you through the criticism. Don't think for a minute you'll ever reach a point, well, at some point I'll be wise enough, at some point uh, I'll have the experience, and at some point people will respect me, and at some point you will never get past being criticized. Matter of fact, if you're living by faith, you're only putting yourself in a position to constantly be criticized. So if you don't want to be criticized... Don't do anything by faith because you look stupid. You look silly. You look foolish. You look over the top. You look borderline crazy. So, I'm going to help you out. If you're so concerned and motivated by avoiding criticism, just don't live a life of faith because faith is criticized. Abraham goes out there looking for the promised land, wandering around. Decade after decade, waiting for a son. Who in the family wasn't criticizing his choice at this point? So, David comes out. David's not affected. Now, why isn't David overwhelmed by the criticism? Because he has a strong faith. But here's what that faith does. Faith says, this is not about me. Folks, if this is about you, if the Christian life is about you, if what you're trying to do and accomplish is about you, as soon as you're criticized, you're going to be discouraged. This is not about me. Pastoring is not about me. Leading this flock is not about me. Doing the right thing is not about me. A new building, winning souls, ministries, none of this is about me. And if it's about me, as soon as I face criticism, I'll become overwhelmed and say, hey, I'm trying to do right, and yet in the midst of doing right, look, I'm being attacked, and everyone is criticizing my choices. That is normal. 
That is typical. You ought to look at others that have stepped out by faith. You have plenty of Bible examples. Those that live by faith put themselves in a position to be criticized. Your way past that is to understand this is not about me. His response, what is David's response? Hey, what's up with the attacks? Hey, why the beatdown? Why the hatred? No, that was not his response. Look what he says in verse 29. David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? He said, wait a minute. This is bigger than me. This isn't about David. This isn't about my strength, my ability, my power. This is not about me. This is about a God in heaven. Look what he says, verse 46. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand. Now look at the last phrase found in verse 46. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Here's what faith is about. Faith is about I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to obey this book. I'm going to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to step out, outside of my comfort zone, and do whatever God would have me to do. And that means people are going to criticize you. And the only way you're going to make it past that criticism is to understand this was never about me in the first place. If you make your life revolve around the fear of criticism and too many Christians have been inhibited, too many Christians have been stopped by this obstacle, the obstacle of criticism, because if I do that, if I step out, if I attempt to do that, I know what's going to happen. Someone is going to criticize me. Yes, you're right. You are absolutely right. If it's a step as small as singing in the choir, someone will criticize you. All Baptists, consider themselves comedians. You know, God never called you to be a comedian. You know what you ought to say? I don't need to develop the gift of criticism. And if someone else has the gift, I don't need to be hurt. I don't need to take it offensively. I need to understand if I step out by faith, there will always be critics. This is bigger than people. This is bigger than the critics. This is about God anyways. I want to see number two. This is faith that will help you overcome the fear of credentials. What are you talking about, pastor? The fear of credentials. I'm talking about what man knows about you and what you know about yourself. Because this is a common fear. I don't have the credentials. Pastor, you want to give me that ministry. You want to put me in that spot. I just don't have the credentials. I didn't go to Bible college. I didn't have the proper training. And I believe you ought to do everything that God would have you to do, and you ought to be as trained as possible. But none of us have the credentials. David didn't have the credentials. He showed up. He's 17 years old. He's just a kid. Look what Saul's immediate response is when David offers to go and fight this heathen Philistine. He said, thou, verse 33, Saul said to David, thou art not able. How many of you have ever thought that? God said, I want to use you. And you said, I'm, I'm not able. Now, let me just throw this in. You need to become comfortable with who you are. Too many Christians are uncomfortable. They live comparing themselves among themselves, which Paul said is not wise. First Corinthians. 
But too often, we're covetous, we're envious, we're jealous, we're concerned about the gifts that I don't have. Listen, I can't sing. Somebody say, well, you know, I wish I could sing. And if you can sing, sing. If you can't sing, please don't sing. Not a special. Sing in the congregational uh, where you can hide your voice. But you've got to become comfortable with yourself. I, I know people who are, that are uncomfortable with themselves constantly are changing their hairstyles. If you're losing your hair, at some point, you've got to be comfortable with the fact that bald is beautiful. <laughs> it happens to the best of us. You watch people. They go to the gym three and four hours. Listen, I don't want a size 18 neck. You need to become comfortable with the gift you have because here's what happened. David was experienced with the sling and when he showed up, Saul looked at him and said, I'm not comfortable. You don't even know how to use a sword. Here, let me give you my armor. And here's this young man dwarfed by the armor. Saul said, I've used this. This has worked. This has protected me. This will help you. You need to be comfortable with the fact that there are things that others can do in abilities and talents and God has blessed them with special gifts, and you don't have those gifts, and that's okay. God didn't want you to have those gifts. God doesn't need you to have those gifts. Remember early in my ministry, I often lived frustrated because I would see these pastors, these men of God, multi-talented. You know, you get someone like Brother Willette come in who can sing and preach and administrate, has all these abilities, and you say, God... The only gift that I have that he has is the gift of baldness. You watch Brother Baldwin and he preaches with such power and he's so dynamic. And then he goes over to the piano and he can play the piano. And then he sings and has a booming voice. And you say, God, I can't play the piano. I can't sing. I, I'm not a dynamic preacher. I'm none of these. But God says, David, Although you have nothing but a sling, I can use you in a simple sling. Now, these men doubted David anyways. Can you imagine what they were thinking when he pulls out a leather strap? A 17-year-old with a leather strap fighting the world's greatest gladiator on his territory? fully protected by 135 pounds of armor? David, what are you going to throw a rock at? A wall? A barrier? A metal shield? Have you lost your mind? And David said, I have one talent, I have one ability, I have one gift, and it's slinging rocks. That's it. God said, I can use that. You know what we often fear the most? Our credentials. Because we look around and we compare our credentials with everyone else and say, well, you know, he was raised in a Christian home. He had a Christian school. He had a great environment. He went to Bible college. He had proper training. He has special abilities. God's given him natural gifts. And it's amazing everything that he has in his favor. But me, in a lab says, you are bringing us bread and cheese. And suddenly, you're the gifted fighter going to take on Goliath. Now, let me ask you this. How many were impressed when he said, well, I fought a lion and I fought a bear? Do you see them saying, ooh. I imagine most of them didn't even believe him. But they weren't impressed. You know what's amazing? There are so many people with so 
much as far as credentials, but they've never personally experienced the blessing, the power, the help, the deliverance of God. And let me ask you this. At some point, you've got to stop living your life based on someone else's testimony of faith. I mean, there are people that are 20 years old in Christ, never prayed down a breath mint. But boy, they know how to criticize anybody else that steps up by faith and wants to do anything for God. I mean, they've never seen God show himself strong in their behalf, but anybody else that wants to step up, step out, stand up for God, they're going to sit back and criticize. And he said, I have fought a bear. I have fought a lion. And beside all of that, it's a God in heaven that has to do this for me anyways. Sometimes God in heaven must laugh at our credentials. Can you imagine? Man is so impressed with himself. Well, I have a degree. Well, I have a beautiful voice, and God says... I gave you that, but it's not like I really need that. So you have a dynamic speaking ability. I gave you that. But if you try that without the Holy Spirit, it's not going to matter anyways. God is not in heaven waiting for someone with the right credentials to walk an aisle and surrender himself to the ministry. God says, I don't need your credentials. This is about my might, my power, my ability, my spirit anyways, not about yours. I want to see number three. Go back with me to 1 Samuel 17. This is a faith that will help you overcome the fear of the crisis. Now, these are real fears. Christians, I thank God if you've never had to face a real crisis in your life. I've had to face crisis in our family, in the health of my children, crises leaving the mission field. Crisis in leadership. When you hit a real crisis, here's how you'll know. You'll struggle to breathe. Now, when you hit a real crisis, just to sleep at night, the desire to eat, the appetite's gone. That's a crisis. Now, if you've avoided that, thank God, praise the Lord. I hope you make it through your life without ever having to face a real crisis, which is very doubtful. But when you get to the crisis, listen, these men, in verse 24, it says they were, what? Sore afraid. They knew this was life or death. They knew this just wasn't their life. Now, folks, this isn't modern technology and modern warfare where things just get blown up. One moment you're breathing, and the next moment you're in eternity. This is hand-to-hand combat. Can you imagine having a sword put in your hand? And you're looking at thousands of men with swords in their hands, and you're going to chase after each other and stab at each other until one man... As the blood run out of his body, his head chopped off. Not a pleasant thought. But worse than that was the thought, if they beat us in this battle, it's not just us that are affected, but it's our wives, it's our children. You've read of the horrors of wars in these times. 
women and children were chopped up as well. And they were not just thinking about themselves, but they were thinking about their families. And they were sore afraid. And they said, if this man defeats us, if this man takes our life, then he will also go in and take the lives of our children. He will also take the lives of our wives, our family. This was a crisis, a real crisis. And here's what David said. With fear, here's what's amazing. He goes down there. Now, I've heard all these subjects preached on before. How many of you have heard people explain that he picked five smooth stones because Goliath had four brothers? One of them was six fingers on each hand. Can you imagine that? What a monster. They were all giants. But they said, you know, David was thinking if I kill him, his four brothers will stand up. I, I think that's a bunch of baloney. You know why I picked up five? The same reason you'd pick up five. You would say, if I miss the first time, I'm going to try again. If I miss the second time, I'm going to try again. He's not thinking about his brothers. Do you think David knew about Goliath's family's history? They're just now introducing him to Goliath. He is saying, that man has a shield and body protection, and I've got a very small target. And Buster, if I go through those five, I'm going to find five more. I think he had already located a spot where he could pick up five more. But here's what he did. He faced the crisis, and too often in life, we, we go into that moment of crisis, and all we can think about are all the details that the doctors have told us. Remember the surgeries that Ashley has gone through, and when we sat down with the doctor for the first time, I, I remember we went home at midday, got in our bed and went to sleep and didn't wake up till the next day. And I'm not a sleeper. But when you have a true crisis, suddenly you want to shut everything else out, telling you your daughter may experience this, your daughter may not live. Most likely if she does live, she'll deal with this problem for the rest of her life. In doctors nowadays, because of all the legal liabilities, not only are they going to tell you about the problem, they're going to tell you all of the worst scenarios that could possibly happen. And you simply can't deal with that. It's overwhelming. When you come to that moment of crisis, not a matter of if, but when, you better understand faith is what will take you through that crisis. Now, I want you to think about this, and we'll be done. In a moment of crisis, look what had happened. Saul was so paralyzed by fear. Saul, the great leader of the nation of Israel, did not have enough strength, power, or energy to even lift a sword. And how many times have I seen Christians in this spot? So paralyzed, they couldn't even pick up a sword. Grown men with grown muscles, so paralyzed by fear, they can't even lift the weight of a gospel tract. Yes, paralyzed by fear. Men in a hospital having spoken to a doctor so paralyzed by fear, they sit down on the couch and can't get up. So paralyzed by fear, they can't respond. Now, here's what had happened. If you don't have a personal walk with God, if you don't have a personal relationship, that's what faith is based upon. If you do not know God, you will be paralyzed. And here's the difference between those that you see totally paralyzed in the crisis and those that are able to stand up. Now, listen, when everyone else was shaking in fear, we see this young man standing up and facing the giant. 
When everyone else is going backward, David is running forward. What is the difference? Go back with me just a single chapter to chapter 16, verse 13 and 14. Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of the brethren. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah, verse 14. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Let me tell you what will happen in the crisis. If God is not with you, if you don't know him, if he's not actively working in your life, if you don't have a good relationship, when you get to the crisis, I don't care what kind of man you are, what kind of man you think you are, you will be paralyzed. These were the greatest warriors in all of Israel. This was the hand-picked captain, God's choice for Israel, a man known as the greatest warrior in Israel, head and shoulders above the rest. But when he got to this moment of crisis, because his relationship with God was broken, because his faith had been destroyed, he literally couldn't pick up a sword when the rest of the nation, when the rest of the men, when the rest of his warriors were looking at him. He couldn't do it. Did not have the strength. You mean to tell me after 40 days he wasn't trying to find ways to eliminate this man? But he could not. You know why? Christian courage is based upon faith. Faith is based upon knowledge of God. Knowledge of God is based upon a relationship with God. Because Saul no longer had a relationship with God, when the crisis hit, he was powerless. He was paralyzed. And so it is. Spiritual paralysis, when a man is distant from God and the crisis hits, this is why you better maintain a relationship with God. Because when the crisis hits... How many people superficially did we think were healthy? But because there was no regular relationship with God when they faced the crisis, unable to move, respond. Their brain was telling them to something, and it couldn't. That's the spot Saul was at. Can you imagine these men, these great warriors, as they looked at their king, their captain, and said, why is it that day after day, listen, folks, this had, this had happened for more than a month, 40 days. They watched their king sit in his tent in fear and never lift a finger. And he'd walk out and say, is anybody willing? What are they thinking of their fearless captain? Saul, are you just going to allow this to go on endlessly? He could not even react. Because the right reaction is based upon faith, and faith is based upon a relationship with God. And there was no relationship. Now here, obviously, was the reason that David could face this. Verse 37, David said, Moreover, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, he realized this was all about the Lord, the presence of the Lord, the power of the Lord, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion, out of the paw of the bear. He will deliver me. And Saul said, go and the Lord be with thee. Now go down to verse, 37, uh, to verse 47. When David goes out, Goliath is laughing and he said, am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves with sticks. What are you doing? You're sending this lad out here. He's calling David a little stick boy. Are you throwing a stick to a puppy dog? What is this? Are you mocking me? 
And David said, This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand. Verse 47, All the assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Now where did his faith come from in the midst of the crisis? It was the presence of God and knowing God is with me. What did David say in Psalms 23 verse 4? I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. The only thing that will keep you going at that moment is knowing this is in God's hands. There are just too many things out of your control. Now, here's what you can do in a crisis. You take care of the things that are in your hands, that are in your control, and you've got to say everything else, I've got to leave with God. If, if those things are out of my control, they've got to be in his hands. And too often we try to take those things that are out of our control and try to find a solution, try to, try to force Amen. a resolution. Amen. And David said, there are too many things here out of my control, but here's what I can do. I can't allow God to work, and I do have a sling, and it's my only ability, and we do have the responsibility. Now, if we get some 17-year-olds to step up, young people, you have to understand, adults have a lot more on their plate, and adults tend to be paralyzed by fear much more often than kids do. So stop waiting around for some miraculous, magical, mystical moment when suddenly, I'm 30, I'm a soul winner, I'm a preacher, I'm a blessing, I'm a leader. You gotta say, I don't have to be 30, I don't have to be 40. I have to be willing. An adult may look at you and say, all you have is a slingshot, a strap of leather, a pocket full of rocks. Show us your credentials. And you are going to do something for God? And David stepped up in this crisis and said, this isn't about me. God is with me. And David was the one that stepped up and he took that sling and he slung it around and he ran. Here's what's amazing. He ran toward. Now, here's what I would be doing. I'd, I'd say, okay, God, if you're in this and you're the one guiding this rock, how about if let's do about 250 yards and I'll sling it. You guide it. I remember the first time we went to Alaska and we got in this plane. They fly you out to the middle of the wilderness, tundra, you cannot leave. They said there's no way in, no way out besides plane. Your phones don't work. They said don't get hurt, don't get eaten because we don't come back for a week. So uh, if you do die, we won't know about it till Saturday. So try to stay alive. But I remember he landed that plane on about 100 yards of runway. And we got out and there's a little piece of plywood propped up making this little lean-to cabin and he got out we stood at the door of the cabin he said you see that way yes he said if you have 150 feet that way if you happen to see the bear and he didn't see you so you had time to get your gun load the shell get in position sight it in and that bear saw you he said, you have one shot while you're aiming if the conditions are absolutely perfect. And they said, I have a question. How long does it take for that bear to get from the edge of that runway? If he's on the edge of the runway, not if he's across from the cabin, but if he's on the very far edge of the runway, 
to you, how long does it take? I said, I don't know. He said, four to five seconds. Now think about this. You got off the perfect shot and you have a bear running at you and you know you have four to five seconds before he has your head in his mouth. Do you get off a shot is the first question. And if you do, is it anywhere close to the bear? <laughs> now, do you think David's not thinking the same thing? I've got about 150 feet. I want to keep this distance because I don't have a sword. What he wants to do is get close enough to swing that sword and take off my head. I have a sling. I don't want to do hand-to-hand -hand combat. I want to keep a football field in between me and him. You say, he didn't know anything about football. Would you get your mind back on the message and stop trying to <laughs> distract me? But that's not what David did. David didn't stand off in the distance and throw that rock as far as he could. The Bible says he began to run towards the enemy. He's running at him. What was going through Goliath's mind about that time? A rock. Rock suddenly hit him. The Bible says it sunk into his head. And then David did the smart thing. He said, I'm not taking any chances with this fella. Maybe it's just a slight concussion. So he runs over, grabs the sword, pulls it out. About that time, everyone standing around can't believe it. Their jaws are on the floor. They're standing there in disbelief. And he stands up. I bet David struggled to lift up that sword. He didn't have to swing it. The weight of it falling down cut his head off. Now, let's see David's mindset for one second. We'll be done. Psalms 27, verse 1. Psalms 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Uh, look what he says. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies, my foes, they came upon me to eat up my flesh... Maybe he was thinking of Goliath when he wrote this. When my enemies came to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Maybe he's thinking about Goliath when that stone hit him right in the forehead. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war should rise against me. In this will I be confident. Where's this confidence coming from? Knowing God's in charge, God's in control. And if God isn't doing this, I'm sunk anyways. David knew this isn't 10% me and 90% God. David knew. If God's not in this, I'm done anyways. I might as well go out there. I might as well give it a shot because this isn't about my aim. This isn't about my talent. This isn't about my ability. This isn't how fast or how far I can sling this rock or if I pick out the right size. This is about God. God's got to make this happen. You know, Paul said in 2 Timothy 1, 7, God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Who's the only one in this circumstance that had a sound mind? David. One man. You know why? In the crisis, faith is the only thing that will give you a sound mind. Now, we're going to have one moment of confession here. Not open confession. Not visual confirmation. But answer this question in your heart. Have you ever been in a moment of crisis, been overwhelmed by the circumstances, and lost your mind?
temporarily? Have you ever found yourself there and you said something, you did something, you thought, oh, wow. You literally, whether that was for a minute, an hour, day, a week, maybe even a month, you lost your mind. You know what happened? Fear overwhelmed you. The fear of the moment. And while everyone else was losing their mind, David kept a sound mind because that's what faith does. God is not giving you a spirit of fear that should control you. God has given you his presence and his promise and his power, and that'll help you keep a sound mind in the crisis. And if you find yourself losing your mind or having lost your mind, you have to say, my problem is not this situation or the circumstance. My problem is fear, and God wants me controlled by faith, and that'll only happen when you're maintaining a regular personal walk with God. And we see the two examples, two extremes. Saul, distant from God, no personal relationship, paralyzed where he literally didn't have the strength to lift a butter knife. David, a young man, no experience, standing up to this giant, defeating him. Why? Personal walk with God when he got to the crisis. The only one with a sound mind saying, this is about God anyways. Thou art with me, and if you are with me, I will fear no We certainly hope that you've enjoyed this message today, but more importantly, we hope that the Lord has challenged you in some way to grow in your Christian life. For more information about our church, including directions and times of services, please visit our website at www.capitalcitybaptist.org.